Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. So good to be with you as we're into our second year of a three-year journey through God's Word. We're making our way through the whole of the Bible, one chapter at a time. We do a couple chapters, Old Testament and then New Testament. Right now we're in 1 Samuel and the Gospel of Mark. And then we mix in Psalms and Proverbs from time to time. So I hope you are with us on this journey. I hope it's been a blessing to you. It's certainly a blessing to me. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we look to 1 Samuel 13 today. Father in heaven, you are our God and Father. You are faithful and true, unfailing in all your ways. Father, please teach us from 1 Samuel 13 today. Please write it on our hearts and minds. Please help us to understand it, to treasure it, and to live it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Samuel 13. <clears throat> king Saul. Saul lived for one year and then became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash, and the hill country of Bethel, and a thousand were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines, the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it. <clears throat> And all Israel heard it said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines and the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command 
of the Lord your God with, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. And Saul and Jonathan his son and the people who were present with them stayed in Geba of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped at Michmash. And raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned toward Ophrah, to the land of Shual. Another company turned toward Beth Horon, and another company turned toward the border that looks down on the valley of the Zeboim toward the wilderness. Now, there was no blacksmith to be found in all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, or his sickle. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshare and for the mattocks, and a third of a shekel for the sharpening the axes and for setting the goads. So on the day of battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan. But Saul and Jonathan his son had them, and the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. Hmm. Well, we've got a very interesting and troubling scene here early in the kingship of Saul. So I want to jump back for a minute up to chapter 11 of uh, 1 Samuel to see when, when Saul really becomes king and to sort of set some context to what's happening here in chapter 13, because the, the flow of the narrative gets interrupted a bit by Saul's, uh, by, sorry, by Samuel's farewell address in chapter 12. So in chapter 11, we had uh, the Ammonites who were threatening Jabesh Gilead. Now, this is on the other side of the Jordan uh, to the east, okay? And so that, that threatening uh, at the hands of the Ammonites is what really triggers Israel to, to rally to Saul and, and to become, you know, to really acclaim him as their king. Now, when they, when they attacked the Ammonites, again, this is on the east side of the Jordan, they had 300,000 people of Israel and 30,000 men of Judah, and they were delivering the men of Jabesh-Gilead from this eastern threat of the Ammonites. Well, today, it's a little bit later, so it's a year or two, two years later, um, and he is on the other side dealing with the Philistines. The Philistines are to the southwest of Israel. So let me just bring up a map real quick. Um, sometimes I find it's helpful to have these maps that help us kind of see where things are. So the Jordan River 
right, is, is the boundary between the bulk of Israel, which is to the west of the Jordan, and then the outposts that are to the east. And Jabesh Gilead would have been to the east of the Jordan. But now we've come really to sort of central Israel between the Jordan and the coast. And the Philistines lived to the west, and they had, they had been harassing Israel for a long time. Uh, they, you know, we get in this chapter, even the idea that there were no blacksmiths that were even allowed to operate in Israel. Why? Well, because the Philistines didn't want the Israelites to have weapons. And so they had so oppressed the Israelites that there were no blacksmiths in the land. But Saul gathers just a few thousand people. Uh, as a sort of standing army, 3,000 of them. And they're north of Jerusalem, and, and they're in this area. And Jonathan is at Gibeah, and Jonathan attacks um, Jonathan attacks the Philistines, and then the Philistines retaliate the attack on their Philistine outpost by gathering all of their forces to Michmash. Okay? And that's sort of the setup here is, you know, poking the bear, we might call it, because Jonathan has sort of taken out this outpost of these people who are much, this nation that is much more powerful, has been oppressing Israel for quite some time. And uh, so Jonathan defeats the garrison that's at Geba, and the Philistines hear of it, and Saul calls for all the people to come. And at the start of this, he's got really 3,000 people. He's got 2,000 with him in Michmash and uh, in the hill country of Bethel. And there's 1,000 that are with Jonathan uh, in Gibeah of Benjamin. And But now he blows the trumpet and, uh, you know, thousands of, of people from all across Israel come out. Um, but the Philistines also muster their people to come out. And the Philistines, I mean, they're just a more powerful nation who's got a longer track record of war, and they've been oppressing Israel for generations. And they're able to muster 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. Now, Israel basically has always had just foot soldiers. And so even if you had an army of, say, 300,000 foot soldiers, like they were able to bring against the Ammonites, if you find facing an army with 30,000 chariots, those chariots and 6,000 horsemen, you got 36,000 mounted chariots and horsemen, and then the troops of sand like the seashore. I mean, there's just, there's just no human way that Israel has the resources to be able to oppose this large of a force. And so they gather, and the people are trembling. Verse 7 tells us, Some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul is still at Gilgal, and all the people uh, were, who followed him were trembling. So, some of the people had started to go home. Some of the people were hiding themselves. Some of the people were going back in the other direction. Okay, let me bring up that map again just to give you that uh, setting. So, some of the people, Gilgal, right, and then um, across the Jordan River into Gilead, that's where some of the people had gone off to the east. But Saul is here. Saul is 
remaining and the Philistines are gathering. And so what is going to happen? Okay. I wanted to explain this because we can sometimes lack empathy for the people who are in the Bible because we don't understand their circumstance and we think, well, what's the big deal? Why wouldn't he wait for, for Samuel to come? I mean, Samuel told him to wait. You know, what's the big deal? Well, seven days is a long time to stand around waiting when you're facing this kind of unopposable foe, right? And when people are ditching it and they're heading for the hills and the rocks and the tombs and the cisterns and they're crossing the Jordan and they're going back over to the east and you're you're losing your standing army and you know later we're going to see he's got like 600 guys with him like he's he's in a hard pressed situation but what is Saul's root issue from the very beginning it's insecurity insecurity which leads to a lack of confidence and trust in the Lord and in his promises and in this case what it causes him to do is it causes him to be in fear of the Philistines and then perhaps even more so in fear of losing the hearts of the people following after him so not only is Saul afraid of the Philistines that seems like a natural thing however we see in verse 11, perhaps, the heart of the issue with Saul. When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered in Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So Saul is wanting the favor of God, but he's not willing to be obedient to God. He's not willing to do what God has called him to do, which is to honor those whom God has appointed to be priest and to stick within his role as the one whom God has anointed to be king and to lead the troops, but not the one to offer sacrifices, not the one to seek the favor of the Lord. He needed Samuel because Samuel was a priest and a prophet and uh, Saul was the king. And in the Old Testament, the absolute prohibition was that you could not be king and priest. You could be a king and a prophet, like David was. Even Saul was among the prophets. You could be a king and a prophet. You could be a priest and a prophet, like Samuel is. But you absolutely could not be king and priest. King and high priest, those are two ruling offices. Those are two crowned positions of authority to rule over the civil life of Israel in their military, in their government, to rule over the worship life of Israel as an intercessor between God and the people to offer up sacrifices. And you cannot be both of those things because only Jesus can. You see, Saul's not qualified. Only Jesus is going to come along as Melchizedek is the type of this from way back in Genesis 14. Melchizedek was both king of Jerusalem, king of Salem, king of peace, and Melchizedek means king of righteousness, and he's also priest of the Most High God. He's a type of Christ, a foreshadowing of Christ, who is the only one who's qualified to be both king and priest. King Uzziah, we're in Isaiah uh, during Sunday mornings, and in the book of Isaiah, when we were in chapter 6, we saw the year that King Uzziah died. 
King Uzziah died a leper. Why did King Uzziah die a leper? Because as the king, he went into the temple and tried to offer incense, which was only for the priest. So this was a very serious sin, but also the root cause of this sin is very serious. Saul is fearing the Philistines, and he's fearing the people that he's called to lead and command. And think about it. If he's fearing the Philistines, and he's fearing the people he's called to lead and command, who is he not fearing? He's not fearing the Lord. He's not walking in obedience before the Lord. And so the Lord has a very harsh word for him. Now Saul himself is not yet at this point rejected from being king over Israel, but his line is not going to continue. Your kingdom shall not continue. And so Saul is not going to have a dynasty. He has his son Jonathan, who was the one who was commanding the, Philist the, uh, the garrison at Gibeah and who had attacked and defeated uh, the Philistine garrison at Geba. And in the next chapter, we're going to see Jonathan go to war again. And he's already grooming his son Jonathan to be king after him. And here, what he is being told is that's not going to happen. God has someone else in mind who's going to be king. So what can we learn? How can we apply this to ourselves? Well, first of all, where is Christ in this passage? Well, he's the one who is king and priest. He's the one who both rules over and defends and protects and fights for his people, but who also blesses us and wins the favor of God for us and is both high priest and sacrifice for us. So Jesus is the one who fulfills right, this whole scene of king, battle, priest, sacrifice. Jesus is all of that. He's the all-sufficient one. But I think the take-home lesson for us, what we need to drive home to our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, what needs to be driven home to our hearts is this very simple and yet very profound and very powerful and very needed lesson. And that is, if you do not fear the Lord, you will live in fear of men and you will never be faithful to God. If you do not fear the Lord, you will live in fear of men and you will never be faithful to God. Let us fear the Lord, brothers and sisters. Let us fear the Lord, for he is worthy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your son, our great king and priest, and sacrifice and defender and victor and champion and savior. Help us to walk in the fear of the Lord. Help us to live in fear of you all the days of our lives, that we might honor you, for you are worthy to be honored. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that is 1 Samuel chapter 13. Tomorrow we're going to move on to chapter 14 as we'll continue this unfolding battle with the Philistines. Hope you can join us for that. And as always, have a blessed day in the Lord.